Welcome everyone to another episode of the Talk Dental To Me podcast. On this podcast, we talk about all the dental topics you wish you knew more about, what you want to hear more about, and topics that would challenge your practice and help you flourish as a clinician. My name is Emma. I'm an oral health therapist based in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm your host. Thank you so, so much for making episode 44 a part of your week. And guys, this is the last episode of 2024. I feel like we say this every year, but this year feels like it's been a literal blur, even more so than previous years. And as I've sat down and reflected on this calendar year, I am feeling so thankful and blessed for this year. Last year was a really challenging point for me in my career, and I only really started to feel myself again late 2023. So coming into 2024 and having the year of growth that I've had, I'm feeling really happy with how everything is right now and just focusing on enjoying the present and not always looking forward and planning for the future, which is typically what I do as a huge planner and Capricorn. But I also just received my Spotify wrapped podcast recap and my mind is absolutely blown away by how many more listeners have tuned in this year and I've almost hit 20,000 downloads which is insane so thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in and I hope as the new year comes around the podcast continues to add value to your career and inspires you and in this episode I really wanted to end the year with a practical topic that will help kickstart us all into 2024. So we're tackling the issue of prioritizing mental health in the ever-evolving landscape of dentistry as we head into the new year. Because as we know, we cannot provide great treatment to our patients if we are not prioritizing our own well-being. So join Dr. Maruk Kwaja and I. She's had a really amazing journey. She actually has a double qualification of being a dentist and a positive psychologist. So she's going to unravel that for us all. But we chat about the challenges unique to dental professionals, social media, imposter syndrome, how we can prevent reaching crisis point, which is super helpful because I wish I'd known this earlier in my own career. And Maruk gives us actionable advice to take into the new year. So remember to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Let's get into the episode. Hi, Maruk. Welcome to the Talk Dental To Me podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. And good morning to you because our time differences are huge. I believe I'm 11 hours ahead of where you are in London today. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your day off and your morning. Oh, no worries at all. Really good to speak to you. I'm really excited to chat today because I feel like coming to the end of the year, end of 2023, I think. It's a time where everyone starts to think about the year that's passed or almost passed and the year to come and also like where we are at mentally as well. Working in dentistry is stressful and there's an, a lot of our, on our plate all the time through the day working with people of all ages, working with team members, working with anxious people. So it's a lot we've got to work within ourselves to be the best professional we can be. So I'm really fascinated by your journey and I would love to hear 
about it and what first drew you to focusing on mental health in dentistry. So please take the floor. Great question. I think anyone who's working in this space is deeply connected to well-being. And the same goes for me. I graduated in 2010. And in about 2014, 2015, I went through depression. And prior to that, I hadn't experienced any specific mental health challenges. I was going through a divorce. And I was really struggling emotionally. I was going through a roller coaster of emotions, constantly kind of ruminating about the past or time traveling to the future. And it was a very anxious, uncomfortable period. And I was lucky or fortunate enough to seek therapy and didn't feel the stigma that a lot of our dental professionals feel and discovered a bunch of like psychological tools and just amazing way to navigate your emotions I hadn't explored before. Prior to that, I would say I probably didn't have a self-care routine. I didn't understand my thoughts. I didn't know how to unhook from thoughts. And I was like starting at a place of like poor knowledge. And so, yeah, just having someone to walk me through that was absolutely brilliant. And then after my recovery, I started kind of delving into the research around interventions for dental professionals and broadening that out to medical professionals. And actually, there's some really cool research around psychological interventions that really help not only like reduce negative well-being markers like burnout and anxiety and depression and things like compassion fatigue, but also, and I think equally as importantly, that also increase positive well-being markers. So we're talking about increasing our levels of positive emotions, our happiness, our quality of life. That got me on this journey of upskilling. I completed a master's in applied positive psychology And if you're not aware about positive psych, it's basically the science of well-being. It's where all the research around resilience lives, around happiness, around work engagement, all of those like really important factors. I upskilled, I founded a well-being startup for dental professionals. And since 2019, I've been really immersed in this area, been running workshops, programs, I've written the first wellbeing book for dental professionals. So in 2020, I got a contract with Wiley to write this book. And that's been brilliant. So that came out this year. And then 21, 2021, I launched the Mindfossing Toolkit, which is a mindfulness toolkit. So from my perspective, I'm doing what I can in terms of bringing evidence-based approaches to wellbeing. And I think that's like really, really important. Amazing. Thank you for taking us along your journey there. I think that's a really important conversation of you also touching base about the stress outside of work because it can be a lot and some of the stress that we deal with through our day isn't just in the chair, in the room with the patient. Some of it can be in our relationships and family and friends and then all that together can be a lot. So I also really like the positive psychology route that you've taken because, to be honest, I hadn't heard of it until I came across your page. So I really like that you've been able to channel the stress and what you had to overcome into helping others. And that's just really fantastic because there are lots of our peers struggling and we may not even know about it. So to have these resources there, to have workshops where you can come out, do you visit clinics or do you go to conferences? How does that work? 
Yeah, so I actually started off team training. So I'd go into dental practices and we'd do like a lunch or like half a day of training. And I'd be teaching the team around how to use mindfulness, how to use cognitive behavioral therapy, all of those tools that actually you think you only need at crisis point, much easier to use before crisis point. So that was me initially. And then COVID happened and I moved actually working predominantly with the dental industry and organizations. So running workshops and programs for dental professionals, but through that avenue. And that's been really, really brilliant. And aside from that, coaching dental professionals and then creating those products Currently, this is really, really cool. I'm working with NHS Midlands and we're doing the first ever pilot resilience program for the foundation dentists. And I cannot tell you how excited I am because there is a, I think, a more interest in well-being, but it often tends to be a single webinar that people go for or like a very small stint rather than a program. So it's brilliant to see the NHS actually champion this. And we're doing like a two-pronged approach. I'm working with the trainers so that they can have well-being conversations with their foundation dentists. And then I'm working with the foundation dentists as well around skills building. But I think that's really, really important because you need a top-down approach. And if you're hopefully helping change things at an organizational level, like the work culture in a practice, then that's going to obviously really improve or have a huge impact around well-being. And kind of beyond that, the relationships with the team and then, of course, patient care. So, yeah, really, really exciting to see that. That is so, so cool. I don't know if there's anything like that here in Australia, but there definitely should be. I have come across dentists who have worked in the NHS in the UK and it's quite different to how it is here. So I think it's really, really great that the NHS is saying, look, we are self-aware that our colleagues and our peers and the next generation are going to really need this help. So it's awesome that they can have you who has the skill set of being an actual clinician but also with your other evidence-based courses and the education that you've done yourself. That's really cool. I can't wait to hear more of how that turns out for you all. And I also think what would be great as people do, it's the end of the year here, everyone's finishing school, new grads coming out. I had a really good question from a new grad a couple of weeks ago and she asked me like what are the qualities that help employees excel at work or the attributes that help them excel at work? What do you think that would be for dental professionals? I mean, from my perspective, it's, it has to start off with well-being because if you're not feeling good, then you just will not be able to get to those optimal states. You're not going to get to those thriving states. So actually, we put so much emphasis on the clinical competencies, but you just really do need to have a good grasp on your well-being and mental health. A few tips that can help. I think it starts off with self-awareness. So your ability to really understand what's going on with your emotions and thoughts and what how your body is feeling. Often we feel so disconnected and might experience symptoms on our body in the future and not really understanding kind of how we got there. So having a check-in process can be really helpful. And that might just look like taking a deep breath 
and anchoring to that breath and asking yourself, what's going on for me right now? How am I feeling? Do I need to support myself in some way? And we can do this even before we bring a patient in into our surgeries. So kind of embed it into our work day. It might actually look like journaling for you. So it might be that in the morning or in the evenings, you want to write down what's going on. And that can be a great process to really connect with yourself and see what's going on. So it all starts off with self-awareness from my perspective. And then it's about being really active when it comes to increasing well-being. So taking those small steps and they build up. That might be a range of different things. So firstly, of course, there's that lifestyle factors piece where you want to get the basics right, such as good sleep, nutrition, movement. Those are really, really hard to do. I get it. But have small things that you can do. So it might be that when you wake up, you go for a little walk before you go to work. And it could even be five to 10 minutes. You're getting the morning sunshine as well. And that's really good for kickstarting your circadian rhythm. Thinking of different ways you can infuse movement in a seamless way really focusing on eating the right foods when you can and getting that movement in. So that lifestyle piece is really important. I think without that, you can't get to the other psychological things. That's kind of really crucial. And then in terms of what you can do for your well-being, there are a bunch of things. So you could increase positive emotions through practicing mindfulness. You could practice gratitude. So writing down three things you're grateful for and why. And there's lots of science to support the importance or the impact of gratitude has on our body as well as our relationships, ourselves, our mood. That can be really useful. Also kind of leaning into positive relationships. So really building a community that's helpful, doing things that are meaningful to us can be really, really valuable as well, as well as doing things that engage us so get us into flow states that might look like for example baking for you or crafting or upcycling but that's really really beneficial so we might be aware of flow states already but if we're not it essentially means like getting into the zone a bit like what athletes talk about and we've all got things that might get us in that zone so for some people it's running it could be playing music could be dancing but having those regular flow moments is really important with us for us to feel engaged with life so there are like lots of different little things that one can do when it comes to increasing well-being But yeah, those are like a range of them, a little taster. (laughs) The biggest game changer for my well-being at work has definitely been investing in ergonomic loops. If you are currently thinking about it, I would say don't be like me and wait years and years and wait for that next strain of bad posture to sink in. Just do it. I did so much research on which brand to go with. And if you've been following me on Instagram, you know I decided on Admintech Ergo Loops and I honestly cannot work without them anymore. My neck and shoulder strain is almost non-existent. So if you're listening to this, take this as your sign to invest. So for my loyal podcast listeners, if you mention you've heard about these loops from Emma Talks Teeth, they will also throw in a treat that you won't want to miss out on. So for all of your Admatech products, contact Biomedical in Australia and they can come out to your clinic. Their team is fantastic and their customer service is top notch. The quality for the price point is, in my opinion, so worth it. Thank me later and thank you Biomedical for sponsoring the podcast. 
No, that's so, so helpful. I especially love the check-in process because I think quite often we're all go, go, go all through our day, all through our week, all through our month, and then all of a sudden we feel super exhausted, we feel super tired. I think also on top of that, having boundaries and also saying, you know what, this is exactly what I'm willing to do. If it gets to this point where I have to say no, feel empowered to say no if things become too much. I really like that check-in process because I can definitely say that sometimes I forget to do that or have not done that in the past. And now it makes a huge difference just being really intentional with checking in with how you are, not only physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. So I really like that. Yeah, I was going to say, it's something that we can definitely do at work. When we're thinking about well-being, we think of self-care and it's like going for a yoga session, running, things you can't do with a patient. So what I'd encourage clinicians to do is to really focus on what they can do at work. Like I said, you could do the check-in before you see a patient. You can take deep breaths whilst you're curing composite, waiting for the alginate to set, whilst you're scaling. Like There's so many different moments where you can anchor to the breath. And we know from the science that if we increase the exhale slightly from the inhale, we are going to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system. And that invites this whole host of positive emotions we feel a bit calmer but also it helps buffer against like things like cortisol so instead of letting it build up like get really proactive and I think that's the kind of key message. Mm, I really like that and I feel like talking about well-being there's always such a big focus on us and ourselves and what we can do for ourselves whereas I always like to think now that I'm later on in my career, more senior, what can I do? So what are your thoughts on what lead dentists, so those who are practice owners, lead dental hygienists and therapists, what can clinicians in positions like this do to really cultivate a healthy work environment just to make it like you said, a place where you foster joy and you take moments of gratitude? What are some things that you think they could implement? There are so many different things that practice owners can do. So I appreciate I'm not a practice owner and I appreciate that practice owners have got a lot of stress. When I talk about this, I understand that they're already under a lot of pressure. But I think if we can get a practice owner to really appreciate the relationship between a happy team and productivity and profitability in patient care, then hopefully you'll get the buy-in from the practice owner because there's so much science to support that. But it's certainly what I think would be brilliant to see is to have a well-being lead that's appointed within a team. So have every practice have a well-being lead that is trained in mental health first aid as well as suicide awareness. So those things are really kind of crucial. If you have someone who is trained in that area, then they can spot the early signs of poor well-being and then they can help signpost. Ideally, what would be great is if the whole practice was trained in mental health first aid, but if that weren't possible, at least having a well-being lead would be brilliant. I'd also say having annual resilience and well-being training 
which is different from mental health first aid. So mental health first aid is really understanding the early signs of mental illness and poor health. Whereas what I'm doing actually is really focus on the other side, which is like building good mental health habits. I'm talking about happiness. I'm talking about resilience. I'm talking about increasing positive emotions, using your strengths at work. All of those things are important and hopefully prevent us from going further down that spectrum to illness. So you need a more broader kind of training. And I think that's really important. So that could be really useful. And then also practice owners having a open door policy, creating a culture which is open and is kind. And that goes a really, really long way. So having that psychological safety is really important. When we're talking about psychological safety, we want everyone within the team to be comfortable to really voice their concerns and not be shot down and not be reprimanded and having that culture where you can speak your mind and everyone will hopefully like listen to you and you're heard that is really really important and then little things like as I was saying like increasing those positive emotions we can do this in different ways so if you have a regular practice meeting you could start the meeting instead of talking about like things that are going wrong, which often we do in practices, we could spotlight like what's going well. Let's go around each team member sharing the different moments of joy, big or small, the different gratitude points. And that's a great way of amplifying joy because you get to hear all the good stuff and there's loads of bad stuff already. So our brain is attuned for negativity bias. And so having this emphasis on what's working well and doubling down on that is such a nice feeling for practice, you know, the whole team that could happen. It could even be, you could do mindfulness together in a team meeting. Like the first minute could be take a a couple of deep breaths together collectively. That could be a different way. So yeah, I think certainly a principal could do many things. I think it starts off with being aware of well-being and its importance and then thinking about how to infuse that. And then certainly with courses, we already as a team do mental health. We already do certain courses of infection control. We do medical emergencies. I don't see why we couldn't add an equivalent course around well-being. So yeah, these are really widely available now. I think that that would be really, really fabulous. And just one thing to know, in the UK, this is a few years ago now, there was a document that was released and that really talked about recommendations and mentioned some of these things. So what I'm saying is not entirely like I haven't just plucked it out of the air. It is actually based on other people's thinkings and this guidance here. The only thing I've added is I think we need to broaden it out to the whole team and have annual resilience training. I think there are things that we can do, but I certainly appreciate and know it's hard for practice owners. They've got so much that's going on. Love the evidence-based positive psychology things that we can do at work. That's so great. And as you were thinking, I was also thinking, but also still tuned in, (laughs) about the positive points in the group get-togethers we've done as a team. And it's things that we probably don't even really think about, but it does take a lot 
for you know management to organize these things like we have trivia once a week so during our morning huddles and we do really cool topics like when the barbie movie came out we did a barbie trivia halloween that's just passed we do random like Disney cartoon trivia, it's little things like that. We get to bond before the start of the day. A little bit competitive as well, but it's all in fun and games. What else do we do? We had a Halloween lunch where our boss just blocked off an hour and a half for us to all just sit and eat and catch up. Everyone brought a plate together. So yes, it does eat into productivity, but it really does help with morale. But again, agreed with you there. There's just so much that we all have to do in our day to day. And like you said, practice managers, owners have so, so much on their plate. Again, I do agree with you in that we do need to make a conscious effort to make sure that our teams feel valued, that everyone's feeling okay at work and that everyone's happy. It's really, really important. And another thing I was thinking, I'm sort of taking this conversation everywhere today, but I'm just so excited to pick your brain. (laughs) A really relevant topic now is social media. There are so many dental professionals online now. And I had a really interesting reply from a dentist a while ago about a reel I posted, and it was more on the educational focus. And they took time out of their day to tell me that they find my page refreshing because they feel like dentistry seems to have become, not obviously everyone, but dentistry online seems to have become, you know, this is what I can do. I'm really good at composite resin. I'm really good at veneers. Look at the results of my perio case, which I think can be quite unsettling for other dental professionals, maybe new grabs in terms of comparison. So what are your thoughts on imposter syndrome in today's social media age? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, imposter syndrome has been around prior to social media, of course. But yeah, I think with social media, you've got that amplification because you're just seeing more people's work. And Instagram, it's still an aesthetic feed. You're showing pictures of videos. And if it's a dental page, you're showing your treatment and work. And so obviously that's problematic (laughs) when it comes to our brains because we don't see all the failures. We don't see all the things that all the different challenges. We're not even sure if that's been touched up, those photos. So there's a whole bunch of different things. When it comes to imposter syndrome, I love this question because there is a lot of research and evidence around which tools that can be helpful. And there's things that I've been collating over the years. But firstly, to say that imposter syndrome thoughts, I'm not good enough, do I belong, feeling like a fraud, those thoughts are really, really natural. In fact, that research supports that. I read one study, it was as high as like 85% of us have experienced imposter syndrome at some point in our lives. So it's really, really common. The research around like medics also supports that it's a really common occurrence and it doesn't reduce as you upskill. That's the first kind of key thing to note. What the research also spotlights is using mindfulness and self-compassion practices can be really, really helpful. I'm not sure if if listeners want to hear this, but the idea really is that mindfulness is a great way of becoming more aware of what's going on with our mind and being able to notice those thoughts. With mindfulness, you would learn 
how to be aware of that imposter syndrome thought. So you notice it, oh, look, I'm having that thought, I'm not good enough. That might happen in the chair whilst you're doing a crown prep or whilst you're doing different treatments. And once you've noticed it, you can label it like, oh, that's an imposter syndrome thought. And that labeling process puts a bit of distance between you and your thoughts. So you don't fuse with your thoughts. And that's really, really powerful. So that's the mindfulness piece that can be really, really useful when it comes to managing in the moment when you're feeling triggered with a patient, like what do you do? The self-compassion component to that is how do you self-soothe? Because when you're experiencing imposter syndrome thoughts, as well as critical thoughts, you're triggering the stress response. And that has a cascade impact on our physiology, as we know, as well as our psychology, right? What can you do? And the self-compassion piece is talking to yourself in a nicer way with loving kindness, like you would a friend. So in that moment, when you notice I'm not good enough whilst you're doing this treatment that you've done courses on, but you're feeling really triggered that you're not good enough to be in this position. You can say to yourself, look, I'm really sorry you're going through this. It's not nice hearing those thoughts. I've got your back. What can I do for you? What do you need right now from me? And how can I support you right now? And I know you're going to get through this. It's going to get better. Whatever words that sing true to you, those might not be those words for you, but whatever words you need to hear in that moment, use those words, say those words to yourself. You can also use physical touch as well to help self-soothe. That might be like giving your arm a squeeze, your hand a squeeze, you know, something like this, which you can do with patients. You can support yourself in different ways and do this in quite easily because the patient's not going to realize those little things that you can do. There are different ways we can manage imposter syndrome, but what's kind of coming out in the research is mindfulness and self-compassion practices. And why I love them so much is that they're free resources and they're skills that we can hone ourselves over time. You know, we can seek support to help us with that, but we can develop those skills um, just like we can develop any other muscles of the mind. So Another point to make, like whenever we upskill and we get out of our comfort zone, we might notice those thoughts pop up. It's not as though, from my perspective, you can't get rid of those thoughts because those are thoughts and thoughts come and go. As soon as you begin to realize that it's okay for you to exist and have those thoughts and still keep going and still progress and not buy into the story of the thoughts, then it becomes a lot, lot easier. That's what I would say that even as you progress and you use those tools, not to say that you'll never have those thoughts, it's just you're not hooked by them. And that's really powerful because when we believe their story, that's when it becomes really difficult. And then I guess the last aspect would be the growth mindset aspect, which is reminding ourselves that through time and effort, we can develop and grow and we can keep improving no matter what our age is. I think going with that mindset can be helpful. But certainly, I think when we experiencing imposter syndrome thoughts and and we're feeling really triggered, I think using mindfulness and self-compassion can be really beneficial. And I would say, actually, if you find accounts that trigger you on social media, 
I would unfollow those accounts. You don't need to follow accounts that are super clinical anyway. From my perspective, those are for patients. And that's why a dental professional is showcasing that clinical work. Perhaps we need to follow accounts that really pick us up. Like you were saying, your account is inspiring and you feel good going on your on on your feed and that's the kind of feed that you want that boosts your positive emotions if you notice that you are getting triggered by certain accounts just unfollow those people you don't have to follow them and also be just mindful of the time you're spending on social media if you're finding that you're doomsday scrolling like try and take a moment and ask yourself like is this helping me like sometimes we do it mindlessly just being mindful of how we're feeling and it might be that we need something else right now we might need to feel connected with ourselves or feel connected with other people or we're feeling something emotionally that we're trying to push away which is why we're distracting ourselves so it's kind of working out like what's actually happening right now for me and what can I do that might be more nourishing instead I love that we're chatting about this. I almost didn't want to include it as a question because I was like, oh, it's just a little bit different to what we're talking about, but you really contributed some valuable points there. And a lot of new grads tune into this podcast, a lot of students tune in. So totally agree with you. Learning how to be self-aware, particularly early in your career, for us, by the sounds of it, it sort of happened a little bit later when unfortunately we have experienced burnout. We've had to resign from certain places because we just held on for too long and didn't set boundaries for ourselves or stress just got too much for us. So I really love that comment you made about not letting your thoughts fuse and being self-aware in the moment. I absolutely love that. That's really, really powerful. And I agree with what you said. You don't have to see and look at teeth and gums during your six to 10. We already look at it through our nine to five. Hit unfollow if you do feel triggered, if you do feel that comparison and that feeling inside of you that you start to experience all these negative thoughts, hit that unfollow button. I completely agree. And just circling back to a term that you mentioned earlier, the dreaded crisis point, which I hope that none of our listeners or new grads or students will have to go through, but how can dental professionals develop resilience to reduce reaching that crisis point? I know you've already mentioned a lot of the tools there, mindfulness, self-compassion. Are there any other practical tips that you can share? Yeah, I think to add from the previous answers, I would spotlight like having a sense of meaning. I think that's so crucial when we're talking about our well-being research supports as well. When we don't have a sense of meaning and purpose, we're more likely to experience things like burnout and passion fatigue. And the way we can increase our meaning is through several ways. So it could be by doing meaningful activities 
So it might be a charity that you want to get involved with. And that might be even outside of dentistry. You need a sense of purpose for you to have great well-being and happiness. And that could be a charity and doing good things, or it could be doing random acts of kindness at work. So prioritizing how you can help support like a different team member that day and help them with a task or share a gratitude note or a thank you note, little things that one can do. Another great route to having a sense of meaning is really being aware of our values and bringing our values to work and in our actions. We often aren't aware of what our values are in the first place. So if you Google values and acceptance and commitment therapy, it will come up with this gorgeous table of values. And if you have a look, you can see which ones kind of resonate with you. The reason why it's so crucial is that when we're living a life that is incongruent with our values we're more likely to experience negative markers well-being markers so it's really really important but it's important for that to show up in your actions so for example if growth is really important for you and self-development then you might want to go do some courses you might want to focus on different areas that help you feel good and make you feel that you're having an enriched life so we've talked about relationships I think that's a really fundamental aspect of resilience. And then again, the environment where we work, actually, we've probably not focused on that aspect when it comes to resilience, but actually choosing our workplaces, which are positive, that at least are free of things like bullying and incivility is really kind of crucial that help you feel safe and comfortable. There are a range of things with resilience And I think we just need to be quite active in our approach. And those small steps will actually add up. Hopefully that is of use. No, absolutely it is. I feel like the work environment one is a whole episode in itself. (laughs) We can talk about that for much longer, but we won't. Maybe we'll have to bring you back for another episode there because try as you might if you can employ all the self-care and mindfulness and self-compassion tips in the world but if you're not in a great work environment if you're in a hostile environment none of it's unfortunately going to do what you want to achieve so maybe we'll have to bring you back for another podcast <laughs> that'd be great what's the best way to connect with you you can reach out on the website so mind little dash ninja .co.uk or follow me on Instagram. So I'm mindninja.wellbeing on Instagram. So I've got lots of resources on the website. I've actually got a free ebook as well that I created with Unilever, which explores burnout prevention and a lot of the things that we talked about. It's full of positive psychology tips, as well as the Wiley book, Resilience and Wellbeing for Dental Professionals and the Mind Flossing Toolkit. Amazing. Well, I need to go download that myself. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you so much, Emma. It's been really lovely talking to you. 
Thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a dental friend. It will help. And remember, your well-being matters. And together, let's help build a healthier future for dentistry. And if you're also in the market for Ergo Loops, don't forget to head to Byron Medical. Mention Ember Talks Teeth and you'll get an awesome treat with your purchase. Until next time, take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.